This is Soccer Better, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. We're Liz and Laura Ellen. Between the two of us, we have way too many years of graduate education to be helpful. We decided to journey into the world of critical thinking and the analytical side of all things soccer. Join us as we discover how we can all soccer better. Liz, we're back. We are. We're going to do this for real. Yeah, for real. Soccer Better is back. And we're going to soccer the best. Yes, we are. Okay. Are we ready? I'm so, yeah. New format. Should we tell them, tell them what we're doing different, Laura Ellen? Okay. So previously we had done topics and we had found a couple articles about that topic and, you know, talked on topics. What we realized is that we really weren't able to get into the nitty gritty of each article and really talk about it to the degree that we wanted to talk about it. So we're just going to do one article at a time. And we're going to focus on academic articles. So we probably won't do things from the newspaper unless we say that this newspaper article, which covers like a tiny, tiny portion of something, led us to this academic article. And we will then focus on the academic article. We're just very academic article people. That's right. And I, I think, no, I think this is a really good thing because I, well, I think a couple of things. So, you know, a lot of academic articles, especially right after they first come out, are behind paywalls. And so most folks aren't able to access them. However, because I'm associated with the university, I can ask, access them. And so I think there is real value to that, to being able to disseminate information that most people won't have access to, uh, to the masses. Uh, so I think that's part of it. But I think also there are a lot of people spend a lot of time and energy on these articles. And so I think in order to give them their um, due diligence, we should really dig into them. I also think that there are a lot of people who would be curious if there was some kind of research done on it. And even if they had access, they may not enjoy reading research articles to the same extent that you and I do. And so um, if they do enjoy reading research articles, you're more than welcome to suggest one and be on our show. But if you're like, hey, ladies, I don't like reading research articles, but I have one that I would like you to try and find, we'll gladly do that work for you. Exactly. So we're here to do the work for you. Maybe we shouldn't have said that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. Uh, So here we go. So do we want to get started? Let's do it. Okay. So our first article um, is by an assistant professor at the University of Pittsburgh named uh, Dr. Gabby Yearwood. And Dr. Yearwood, I actually had the opportunity to meet him um, maybe a year and a half or two years ago. Uh, and had a conversation with him about something else, but knew that he did research about the intersection of race and racism and sport. And so um, I'm super excited uh, about this article. So this article is entitled Playing Without Power, Black Male NCAA Student Athletes Living with Structural Racism. So that just like, just the title, I think, in and of itself, just really... um, hits a lot of topics. Um, so this is focusing on, um, college, um, basketball and football. So not soccer, Mm -hmm. but we do think a lot of the topics really do intersect with 
um, soccer. Uh, and this article was published in 2018 in Transforming Anthropology, which is the name of the journal. Uh, so Liz, what are kind of your overarching thoughts about this article? I think that Dr. Yearwood has such a great way of phrasing things so that someone who hasn't experienced um, systemic racism or someone who hasn't, you know, gotten involved with um, student athletes can put those two things together and would be able to recognize them in their future. So there are plenty of things in here that I was like, I just kept putting wow in my comments because there are things that I've seen or things that I had you know, heard about, but when I saw or heard about them, they didn't hit for me as racist and it didn't hit for me that it would affect a um, student athlete so much more um, and affect their lives in such a different way than it would have affected my life if the same situation had happened. Um, so I just really like the way that he, he worded things so that in the future, if I see something happening, I can maybe have a conversation either with the individual to see first if they care or if they want support. Um, and then also like at a broader stroke, like for us, it would be like with the front office and say, hey, you may not have realized this, but some of the things that you're doing really perpetuate awful things and we need to work on that. And so it really gave me the tools to recognize things that I would never have recognized before. Yeah. And so I think, um, uh, perhaps taking a quick step back. So what Dr. Yearwood did um, was he spent a significant portion of time, um, and I am not finding in my notes how long he was there, but uh, do you have that, Liz? Of course you do. Um, or maybe not. So you'll find it. Um, I'll find it. Dr. Yearwood spent some time, um, and I guess uh, just a brief, brief kind of explanatory comma here. Um, so anthropology does many things but kind of um one of the main things that anthropology does is a uh, researcher will embed themselves within a culture to really learn um to in some instances become part of that culture but to really learn from the people within that culture within that system or situation um and and take um, field notes, so do observations, do uh, more formalized interviews to really understand what people are experiencing within that particular system. And so what Dr. Yearwood did was spent um, a period of time at a Division I uh, university. He does not name the university, um, but a Division I university with big um, football and basketball programs um, and spent time with their male uh, black student athletes um, to really learn about their experiences as student athletes, as um, black men who are also student athletes, uh, and really learned about their experiences. Um, throughout the course of this, he also acted as an academic advisor and mentor um, to these uh, young men. Um, so, so that's kind of the framework by which he is then able to present his findings, which is this paper. Um, and I'm sure he has way more data and way more findings other than what is synthesized in this one paper. Um, but I found this paper to be particularly powerful um, because it was such... Uh, an incredible reminder to me that sport 
exemplifies things that are happening in a society, right? Sport mirrors what is happening in society. And not just the everyday um, active and passive racism that black people experience, um, in this case, in particular, black men, um, but also the institutional and structural racism that also exists. And uh, what I found really powerful was that Dr. Yearwood goes throughout different scenarios. He talks about um, academic, the academic side of things, um, the, the thing that I, I'm sure many people are familiar with, that um, college athletes are not paid um, and the, the restrictions that they have on earning income and what that does to perpetuate um, structural racism and also just how the universities and institutions are taking advantage of these young men, of these student athletes, particularly black student athletes, um, to make a significant amount of money, um, but also to kind of strip away their humanity, which again, I think for me, this was so powerful. And, you know, I already don't, um, you know, full disclosure, I haven't watched, um, football in probably two years because of all of the neurological issues um, and, you know, all the stuff that happens with um, uh, Kaepernick. Like, I just decided that football wasn't for me. But I think from a collegiate sense, I have an all-new perspective on thinking about college sports, um, yeah, and the way in which um, college sports can be so damaging right we always think of college, yeah. at least I had always thought of college sports as such like a positive thing right and he talks about that in this article that that the outside perception is that like college sports is a positive thing people are getting education but that's really not what this is about um and even if you are getting the education like you're getting an education not only in whatever field you can study not necessarily choose to study because like your classes are chosen for you based on your sport so you're getting an education on what you can study but you're still getting an education on how to make yourself more acceptable to white society especially in the example that he gives so his study was done between 2007 and 2011 um, and at the university where he was at, and he calls it Gulf Coast State University, just as a generic term. So I'll probably call it Gulf Coast sometimes, not to be confused with an actual university name. Um, but at Gulf Coast, the the black population was so small, it was like 10% of the entire student population. But for the athletes, it was 70% of the student athletes. So when you talk about, and especially here, when he was talking about these stereotypes that you had about what it meant to be a student athlete and what it made people think of, um, he had done research on that and he had done research outside of the university. But a lot of people, when they hear student athlete, they think a black man or a black male, like that's what they think of. And the other stereotypes that go along with that mean that from the time that they are in college and you think that you know, they're supposed to be making all these decisions and all these changes and really influencing their life and moving ahead in society, everyone is still thinking about them in this really negative sense because while they are there to play sports and this is one way that they can um, can better their lives because of the other things that have held them back, 
black males are thought of in a very negative light when they are male athletes. And that's horrible. That's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I totally agree. I think that was so striking for me. Um, and I think one of the benefits to anthropology, um, so normally, uh, anthropology papers are way super long. Um, so that, I think that's like hard to you know, be like, oh my God, this paper is like 25 pages long and I need to sit and read this. But I think one of the things that I really do appreciate about anthropology is there are so many stories and so many anecdotes and examples of kind of the overarching themes that they're finding, which that is one way that I learn is through stories and storytelling. And it's a way for um, these larger themes to really resonate and connect with me. And so I think, you know, hearing about kind of this lack of control right and that's something that he talks about a lot is that these players like don't have control over their own bodies that their diets are decided for them their exercises are decided for them their the classes where like their daily schedules he talks about that you know this one player's daily schedule which you know, he provides, um, you know, is that he like gets up like super early in the morning, goes to practice, then like has classes, more practice, workouts, physical therapy, all these things, gets home super late, barely has time to sleep, let alone study. Right. And so that there's everything is decided for them. And then within the confines of NCAA rules, right, like they're provided, um, you know, their clothes, but they're not allowed to work. And so if they don't adhere to the policies, if they don't stay in good favor with their coaches, which college football coaches, college basketball coaches are predominantly white men, um, uh, you know, if they don't like stay in good favor, they could lose their scholarship, which means they lose their housing, all their food, all their clothing, you know, they lose everything and they haven't been able to work, so they don't have a savings, right? Like, we talk about a lot in the U.S. of, you know, like, work so you can have a savings, so you can, like, provide for yourself if any emergencies happen. But these young men aren't able to do that. Um, and, you know, their families may not have the financial support to provide for them. Um, I, I don't know. It just, you know, reading it, I think it was something that perhaps I knew kind of in my periphery. But just, I think, reading this, it was just so striking to me. And it, it just became so clear to me. Yeah, I didn't know how um, how controlled these individuals were. So I thought that, like, I didn't realize that if you get a scholarship that it is um, for the year, maybe, and I think that it sounds like there's even loopholes where they could be like halfway through the year, be like, ah, we don't want to give you a scholarship next semester. Like I, there's, there's so many unknowns. Um, and then this, like the, one of the athletes says that he, he gets with the program and like he plays their program. It's not a program. Like he's playing, he has to play to their game. Like he has to do everything that these individuals say. And not only, are they giving him his full schedule? So he has to wake up when they say wake up. He has to eat what they say to eat, when they want him to eat it. He has to take the classes they say to take. But 
because they want to make sure that they're following the NCAA rules so closely and they want to make sure that there's no scandal attached to these students, they follow them to class and they say, well, you're probably going to get in trouble. So we're just going to sit here and make sure that you're behaving. What are you talking about? Are you kidding me? And it's not like it's every athlete. It is the black male football and basketball players because they're the ones who are generating the revenue. So like the swimmers aren't getting this treatment. The tennis players aren't getting this treatment. Um, if you're at a college where the soccer is getting the money, the soccer players are getting the treatment. But like that's who, whoever makes the money for the college campus is who's getting the treatments. They call them high risk. Like how do you go into somewhere? You've earned your place there for whatever reason, whether it's because you're very athletic and you have decent grades, you're very athletic and you have amazing grades, or you're okay at athletics and you have really, like whatever it is, you've earned your place there. They decided they wanted you. And now they're like, oh, but you're high risk. So we're going to dictate and watch you like a hawk and basically say, we don't trust you. And the point that, one of the points that he brings out is how would you react? What are you supposed to do when you have no control over your life? Why wouldn't you lash out? Whether, and like some of it's innocuous, you know what I mean? Like people fall asleep in class. There's so many studies about how we don't hold classes properly for students, especially younger students. I'm sure, you know, college is also set up weird. Like, um, some of it isn't as innocuous, you know, you may get in trouble with drugs or alcohol, but if those are the only choices you can make, who's going to resist making a choice for their life? You don't have any other choice. You don't get to pick the clothes that you put on your body. You don't get to pick who your friends are. You can't even propose changes to the system because if you propose changes you won't get a comeback you won't get to get an education in the classes they told you were okay even if it's not the field of study you want but at least you're getting an education I just this system is so much more broken than I realize and my heart hurts like I wanted to cry yeah and I and I I mean, I think I, I reflect back, I think reading this article, you, at least for me, I couldn't help but reflect back on my own college experience, on my own experience in undergrad. And you better believe I like, I mean, I'm sure it's obvious by me doing this podcast, right? But like, you better believe, right? Like undergrad is an opportunity to learn and to grow and to figure out what you think and what you believe and you know, that's, that's part, that's part of what undergraduate education is, is this kind of discovery of what, what do I think, what do I believe as an adult member of society, but that opportunity that I, you know, I have always felt privileged to have gone to undergrad, because there are so many who aren't able to go to college for whatever reason, but I think what this article reminded me and really struck me was that it was a privilege not just for me to go to college, but to have the, the freedom to work during college, to have the freedom to say what I wanted to say in my classes during college, the freedom to pick the class, right? There, there, were, there were so many more levels and layers to my privilege of attending an undergraduate university than just being able to physically be there, right? You know. And things you don't think about. Like I was allowed I was able to 
go home over the summers and hang out with my friends and underage drink in a cornfield and like the only people who made a comment about it were my parents the next day when they're like oh well I'm glad you didn't drive drunk but maybe you can come home before 10 a.m next time you know what I mean like those were my that's who I was letting down or that's who was commenting on my stuff but these athletes if they are on the right team or the wrong team however you want to look at it if they're on a certain team if they're with a certain college they don't have any downtime they don't have any moment where they are allowed to be themselves so when they go home if they are you know if they're probably if they're on a street where there is a fight it will be commented on and they will be associated with that fight whether or not they were actually at home when it happened like they could probably be at college when it happens and there will still be a comment whether or not they were involved whether or not they knew anyone involved but it happened on the street where they live and because they are this high visibility student all of a sudden that is associated with them and if it happened over the summer and even if they were you know playing playstation in their living room and weren't involved i can guarantee that unfortunately when they went back the next year that's brought up well we're going to make sure we watch you extra hard this year because of that fight on your street. I'm sorry. What? What? Like that amount of scrutiny at an age when you're supposed to be able to, I mean, you're not supposed to be able to be a completely terrible person. Like don't be a dick, but you are trying to find out so many things about yourself. And if you're not able to do it in a healthy manner, your only options are to find out in an unhealthy manner. I'm going back to everyone needs therapy. <laughs> like at, we need to help the people who are currently in college and dealing with this. We need to change some of the systematic things. But like going forward, they're always going to be under more scrutiny. No matter if we fix some of the other things, there's always going to be some more scrutiny. And how are you going to deal that? And how are you going to address that? And how are you going to work through it in a positive manner? If we don't encourage them to talk to somebody, then, I mean, how are they supposed to do that? Like, I, I had plenty of time to process things. I had plenty of time to decide how I was going to react. I didn't have to react in the moment. No one put a microphone in front of my face and was getting ready to report on the evening news. No one cared. These athletes don't have that same luxury. They're going to be accosted immediately and repeatedly. And what does that got to do with their mentality? Like, I can't even imagine. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I think, you know, and I think if, if either, I mean, neither one of us played sports in um, college. Uh, and, you know, and, and I think perhaps if we did play sports, I think, you know, maybe some of this wouldn't be as surprising to us. But I do think it just... Right. There's this perception and, and, you know, we've touched on it before, but it's this perception that like the NCAA and, and college sports are good and, you know, it provides for education and scholarships and educational opportunities that wouldn't be there otherwise. But kind of underneath the surface and and in some of these examples, which there's one I want to get to a little bit later, but in some of these examples, it's not really even underneath the surface, but um it's this idea, and I think you touched on this earlier, is that they're playing the game, right? Like, they're not, they're not there to, 
they're not there to to get an education they're there to make money for the university they're there to make their coaches and the administration at the in the athletic department to look good um and they um you know based on dr yearwood's research right we now know that they um have to learn very quickly that they need to play the game and um, there's an example that he provides that one of the, the student athletes um, that he is following kind of has this outburst in one of the classes uh, that he has with uh, that there's a lot of other um, black uh, male student athletes. And he like talks about in class publicly says, you know, we have to play this game and, you know, other student athletes other black male student athletes in the class are kind of irritated with this uh with the young man who has the outburst because because they're like yeah we all know we're playing the game but we're not supposed to talk about it right right you're jeopardizing us right it's like this unspoken rule that just exists that we all we all everyone knows like the you know coaches you know and he talks about coaches say that it's like education first sport second but everyone knows it's the other way around. It's like this agreed upon lie that we're all like kind of telling ourselves, but we all know, like we have all agreed, we have this like social contract and actually like an actual contract that says that I'm going to perform and because I'm going to perform, because I'm making the university so much money, I have now lost my autonomy. I have now lost my ability to make my own decisions and you know, that just, it infuriated me in a way that, you know, like I read a lot of peer reviewed articles for, um, you know, my own research. And, you know, I read a lot about, you know, my research is in chronic pain. So I read about people who are like in pain for years and years. And like, it's very sad. It's very upsetting. But when I read that, I was furious. I think this article, it broke my heart, but it also made me so angry that this has existed in our country and kind of like lauded as this amazing opportunity. And it's just awful. It's like, uh, anyway. And things, and things that we don't know, like he was talking about the coach who was a white male was awful. He didn't say that this coach like was, um, super racist and terrible and like, overtly racist but I felt as if he was trying to let me know that this coach was overtly racist and so they hired a a a black training director to come in and like do the day-to-day trainings with with the uh, students so that the students had someone that they could go talk to but they had someone that they could say I'm really frustrated and the guy probably had to say I know you're frustrated but you have to play the game. You have to keep doing this. You have to keep letting this man berate you to such an extent. Like he is an awful human being and the faculty knows that he is an awful human being and that he is not good for our students mentality. But I bet you he had a winning season. I bet he had a lot of winning seasons. And so the students can't speak out because they're going to lose their scholarship because that terrible man who's probably an overt racist 
has full control over their scholarships and whether or not they can come back and how much they get to come back for. Like, do you get just your books paid for? Or you know what? You did real good last time and you were real nice to me. And so you can go ahead and have your books and you can have an allowance for food. Are you kidding? So like, I, I want everyone fired. I want to start from, I want to start again. Like, what? I, I hate it. These, and these men are taught to, you have, you have to be quiet and you have to deal with it so that you can get ahead. And that is probably what they have been told their entire lives because it's what their parents had to deal with. And so they said, when you go out, don't look scary. If someone walks the other side of the street, don't get offended. Make sure that your hood's, you know, uh, not over top of your head when you're walking around on it. All these things that we've heard because of Black Lives Matter and all the things that we've heard because of this police uh, racism, they've heard these things their whole life because their parents have lived it. And now they're going to college and they're hearing, play the game. And then hopefully, even if you can't move forward in sports, you'll be able to move forward in the professional world. Probably not where you want to because you're not allowed to study anything you like, heaven forbid. But if you keep playing that game for the rest of your life, maybe you'll get somewhere. I, I'm, I may not, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for every part of this that I didn't know for every part of it. I was a part of like, I, I'm so fired up. I'm angry. I know. And I think, I think the, the, the anecdote that, that pushed it over the edge for me because I've like witnessed, not this exact situation, but I've witnessed similar situations. Um, so he, one of the other things that is like mind boggling to me because you hear of these um, like study centers and academic centers that are specifically for the student athletes to help them like manage their schedules, but also to help them to have academic success while they're, um, you know, also being an athlete. Um, and so he talks about, and this is where the high risk, low risk is that, you know, the vast majority of the athletes who are there are black athletes, specifically black male athletes. Um, and so he talks about this uh, time where he is working in a study hall with one of the, um, I think like sophomore or junior basketball players who, um, you know, is, you know, he's a basketball player. He's quite a large um, person and you know they're like working they're studying he's you know the students like really focusing and the athletic director comes in uh, to the room uh, with two men all all three white um, comes into the to the room where uh, the the athlete uh, the, the student um, and dr. Yearwood are sitting um, comes in kind of barges into the room and says hey show me your hands i want to show them how big your hands are and you know doesn't introduce you know doesn't introduce the men he's with doesn't acknowledge that dr yearwood is sitting in the room you know clearly not a student um you know and so um you know this this student athlete puts up his hands the athletic director puts his hands you know against it yeah, and it's like, I, I always am just amazed, like, how, you know, how big, you know, his hands are, and then just, like, turns around and leaves. And <laughs> I, you know, and I think, I think Dr. Yearwood, 
I, I forget. What did he say? He was like... He didn't know what to say. He was like, what? Just, like, what? Like, completely baffled. And so, and which I think, I think as many white people are learning over the past, you know, several weeks and months, um, which shame on us for it taking so long, right? Um, In the U.S., we have stripped the humanity away from black people especially black men um and just looked at their physicality and i think for many white people we have thought that this type of racism was in the past and i think reading this article and reading that particular example was such a striking uh display of how we still like to this day not only from an institutional perspective but at an individual level we still strip the humanity and focus on the physicality of black men and especially black male athletes um, and black student athletes as well Um, and it just was so powerful and he goes on to talk about um, and I really encourage people to read the article I think it's it's very convicting Um, it's also um, I I didn't find it to be too academic but I'm probably not the right person to give that judgment Um, but um, that we have uh, we as a society we as white people and people in power have have taken black bodies and used them for entertainment. And particularly in this example, right, for the basketball team, he talks about how the vast majority are black men. Um, for the football team, the star athletes are predominantly black men. We are using black male bodies for entertainment, and that is wrong on so many levels. Um, you can hear like how angry <laughs> I am and it has to change like we have to find a way for this to change right and we can still have student athletes but like this is a sentence that really stuck out to me so acceptance of the athletic scholarship is also acceptance of the complete authority of the coaching staff we can't let that be what college is for these athletes like they should still be learning how to find their voice and how to talk about and and express the changes that they want to see in their selves in their society in the world as a whole if we don't give them these opportunities if all they are is black entertainers then get out of my face like if that's all you think that these individuals are capable of you are you're missing what a great opportunity you said this was you said and i'm sorry i'm like accusing our listeners i'm very sorry guys josh will tell you i do this all the time and he doesn't like it but so many people say that this is such a great opportunity for them because they wouldn't have the chance to go to college and they wouldn't have a chance to get this education if they weren't black athletes. All right, then let them be black athletes who have this opportunity because right now, that's not what they are. Right now, they are, they are harangued and they are forced and they are it's not even guided like they are put in a position where they have no control of their life for four years and it's not a little bit of no control it's a lot of no control they're not even allowed basically to think for themselves because if you think something and you don't get to express it 
event, especially things that make you angry, if you don't get to express those things, it's going to come out in some manner. And then you're going to find that there's a story about an athlete who punched a wall. And that's going to turn into this big ordeal, and they're going to get put on probation, and la la la. But if you let this athlete talk about how their coach was an overt racist and how they make them feel, and you know the kinds of things that kind of coach is saying to a black athlete, if that had changed, then they would have an education and they would be able to play the sport they probably love. And we are taking all of that away from these individuals. Yeah, and I, I think there is something else, and, and, and Dr. Yearwood touches on it a bit, um, d- doesn't go into much depth, but I think looking at the amount of money that college football coaches and men's basketball coaches, how much money they make, Oh, yeah. Like, I think that's incredibly telling. And I think that's, from my perspective, you know, first of all, I think we should be paying student-athletes. But that's that's a whole other conversation that we don't have to get into uh, today. Uh, but um, I also think that um, there needs to be a serious examination of how much money. Um, and and he, he brings up the point that, right, so not only are – coaches paid like millions and millions of dollars every year but then they're also allowed to make additional money doing speaking engagements and promotions and you know sponsorships and that kind of thing whereas um not only are student athletes not paid but they're not allowed to make any money outside you know so not only could they not you know and and let them scoop ice cream guys they can work at starbucks (laughs) Like, that doesn't have to be sports-related. Right. Or, I mean, or let them coach little kids. Like, how like yeah. how amazing would it be for, um, you know, athletes to have the opportunity, like, over the summer when, you know, football's, you know, different. But, like, you know, for basketball, for example, right? Basketball's a winter sport. Over the summer, like, allowing them to make some money – doing basketball camps and like engaging with students like that is such well and move forward their licensure so when they leave like and this licensure if it wasn't dependent on their coach saying well i like your attitude so i'll put you forward for these different classes like this is something they could have done independently this is something that they're really passionate about it can probably pair with you know whatever classes they decide to take just one step back so at the time of the research the head coach for the football team made more money than was spent on the total allocation of athletic scholarships for the entire athletics program, all of the athletic programs at this university. But no, no, no. Don't let those kids make any of their own money and make any of their own decisions and feel a little bit independent. Heaven heaven forbid. I know. I know. And I think, yeah, I, ugh. Ugh. The... The thing, and and Dr. Yearwood talks about this at the very beginning of the article, um, language matters, right? The language that we use matters. And, you know, I think that's something that uh, from an intellectual perspective, I think I understood, right, Um, that, you know, when I'm sending an email right like the the way that you sign off an email sends sets the tone right but that business exclamation point because i'm not a bad person exclamation point right yes exactly um you know 
language matters. And, um, you know, I heard this was, this is like a very much a tangent, but I'll, I'll bring it back. I promise. I think there, it was some, you know, professional development, something or other before I was a student and they were talking about, you know, if there's like a password that you have to enter like multiple times a day to like have that password, have embedded within that password, something that you want to like constantly be reminding yourself of so like something you want to aspire to be or like a word of encouragement that like to you every time you're typing you know whatever combination of letters and numbers and symbols right that like embedded within that is some kind of like encouraging reminder to you or aspirational thing to you and so that to say that right language matters the words that we use the words that we use frequently the terminology you know, right? Saying Black Lives Matter matters, right? Like differentiating between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter are two very different things. Um, And so I think that for me was just like such an important reminder when reading this article that the language that we're using, um, you know, student athlete, you know, and, and I think you touched on this earlier, Liz, that for these black men they're not students unless they're also an athlete they're not seen they're not perceived as students unless they're student athletes and i think that's like a it's a really powerful thing and of how our perception um is developed what were some other things that really struck you i think really it reiterated how much I need to listen. So I try very hard to listen and learn. And um, I love that the Steel Army tries to listen and learn. And when someone says, this really bothers me and here's why, we take it to heart. And we try to be better and we try to do better. And for people who feel that they don't have a voice, if they ever feel that I can be a voice for them, I need to try that much harder to listen and learn and then to express those those thoughts and those um, ideals in the best way possible and to the largest audience possible. So I don't know if I'll ever get to be an advocate for somebody, but if I do get to be that advocate, I need to make sure that I've done the listening part of it. I can't just take away a small part of it. I've got to sit there and I've got to listen to the entirety of their story. And um, because I'm me, I'm going to have to take a whole book of notes. And then I need to get that out there, not just to a small group of people who, you know, are pro- I'm probably in an echo chamber because my friends are amazing, but I need to get out there to people that I know can make a difference to make changes so that the next time that someone starts talking about this topic, it's not the same story. I can't fix it, or maybe I can. Maybe we're on that last page. Like, maybe there's one more step, but even if I'm the first step and even if I don't fix it, I've got to listen so that if I ever get the chance to be an advocate, I can be a really good advocate. Yeah. No, 100%. I think, I think that is, yeah, I think listening is just, yeah. And, and, you know, both Liz and I are white and which anyway, whole other conversation about why is like, we're not, never mind. But, uh, so both, both Liz and I are white. And I think for me, something that I've been really reminded of not just reading this article, but, you know, over the past, like, few weeks and months and, you know, is just humility, right? Like, I 
have not experienced structural racism. I've not, I've not experienced racism, period. I haven't experienced structural racism. And so listening and also being humble that like my perceptions of how racism manifests itself in this country um, in my neighborhood in my region are is very limited and so um, I think that's also an important reminder because my perceptions of how the NCAA and how men's basketball and football work were very much changed you know after reading this article and and you know, thank goodness for Dr. Yearwood doing this work so that we can learn, so that we can have our perspectives be renewed and, and grow and evolve um, to be more inclusive, to be more understanding. All right. Um, yeah, I just, so I know that we decided to do one article because we thought that we could really focus on it. Um, I think that maybe we thought we would have shorter shows, but I, I think everyone's just going to have to suffer through us as really diving into these articles. There's just so much here. And I think that we could probably keep going for, um, for a while. Let's be honest, guys, we could go for a while. I, I'm going to go back to, um, we need more therapy involved in our daily lives and that we need to be good listeners, especially those of us who are right now, oh, sorry, that's what I wanted to say. It is July 1st, 2020. We are in the middle of a racial upheaval that has been brewing and has, people have thought has been resolved and that is just, that is where we're coming from when we're talking about all of these things right now. Like then it's part of the reason that we're so angry because there is so much wrong so we hope that these shows are evergreen, but if you're wondering exactly what time period we're talking about, it is July 1st, 2020. The world is a mess, and um, we hope that maybe if we talk through some of these things amongst ourselves and our friends and we bring it to the right people that we can make soccer better, but that can also make the world better. That is the weirdest conclusion, but I'm, I'm rolling with it. Laura Ellen, what did you learn? What is your final outtake for this? I I think for me it's again and continually recognizing the depth and level of my white privilege of my privilege period and understanding how the systems that exist not, not just systems, but the, the results of systems and the actions of the people within those systems, because people, systems are made of people, um, how those things um, are racist and how I can leverage the power and influence that I have to make a difference. And I think that's what, what you were getting to Liz is really having those difficult conversations with the people around me and then advocating in any way that I can um, and using my voice to advocate for change, for equity. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's very broad strokes of kind of broadly what I'm learning. I think this article um, is even more compelling uh, to me, kind of a lot of the issues that are happening within 
um, collegiate sports, um, specifically football and basketball, but then also how that translates to other sports. And so I think, um, you know, racism does not just exist in these two sports in this study, you know, like it is, um, it is in all systems, um, and in all scenarios. So, um, that's not very positive. Uh, we can... You know what? Right now, it's about those hard conversations. Like, are you willing to have the hard conversations? Every person who is smarter than me, every person who has experience with this, every person who I know who has been fighting for change um, for however long, they have said repeatedly, don't be afraid to have those hard conversations. So I don't think there's, I don't think there's a positive way to end this because of where we're at in the world and where that puts us at mentally, I think this does give me um, a place to start to look at, are there any colleges trying to make differences? Are there any proposed rules? I, w- I will look at legislation. I-, I will fight for new legislation. I will read that. I will put you know forth my two cents. So um, there are ways that I can look to see if anyone's trying to change this. And there are places that I can look and say, you're not trying to change this. And why is that? So it's not positive, but it is a call to action, which right now I sort of need. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, um, I think this is an example of not only, yeah, I mean, how we can do better, right? Which is what this is all about. How can we use research? How can we use um, critical thinking to be better? And, you know, yeah, we should soccer better. We should sport better. We should be better be better yeah all right everybody we are heading out thanks for joining us on this journey i hope that you found a call to action and i hope that even if this didn't leave you on a high note it left you feeling a little bit empowered to make some change thank you to our host the beautiful game network bgn covers teams across the mls usl championship and usl league one Check out podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. You can follow us on Twitter at BGN Soccer Better. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Otherwise, let us know what you think about today's show and be sure to share it with a friend. Thanks, everyone. Remember, you can always soccer better. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to USL, MLS, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.